0: From Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Dutch. I'm a Dutchman. I was. I was. My parents are born and raised in Holland, so I'm first generation Dutch, and and. Uh, I'm not too far removed from the Dutch language, which happens to be sarcasm, is the official language of the Dutch people. So um, I have been known to be a little bit sarcastic here from the pulpit. Last week, I shared something about underarm hair that wasn't wasn't (laughs) received all that well. I thought it was funny, but uh, most people didn't. So um, (laughs) anyways. So uh, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And so I want to encourage you about a diet. Um, And uh, so if you're here and you need to lose weight, Man, you can look like this guy. Um, let me read this. This is an article. It's uh, out of Chagrin Falls, Ohio. I've never been there. Maybe you have. It says, local Christian Paul Hoskins announced Wednesday he will start a new diet that directly corresponds to his pattern of Bible reading. He plans to eat one meal per week. Sources confirm Hoskins will quickly scarf down a light salad every seven days and will avoid any form of nourishment the rest of the time. I got the idea when I realized my spirit can stay healthy even if I ingest the word of God just once per week, Hoskins told sources. I figure if my spirit can grow and thrive on the once a week plan, my body can too. When, he, when asked how he expects to sustain himself between meals, Hoskins stated he will listen to podcasts about food, he'll play music by artists who believe in the power of food, look at pictures of food on Instagram. According to reports, Hoskins will have his weekly meals spoon-fed to him every Sunday morning. So... If uh, you join this diet and you start losing weight, I'll be praying for you. And we'll be have a, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are going to be looking at the more excellent way. Paul ended uh, chapter uh, 12 saying, and now I'll show you a more excellent way. And that's what we're here to look at this morning, the more excellent way. So it begins with verse 1, if you're following along. Chapter 13 of First 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The thing that kind of jumps out to me in that very first verse is the fact that tongues is plural, and it says tongues of men and of angels. So what is Paul talking about? Well, I believe the tongues of men are what we would know as known tongues, different languages. We see that in evidence in Acts chapter 2 at the, at the day of Pentecost. People from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit descended on the 120 disciples that were meeting uh, there in the upper room and there they started speaking and praising, worshiping the Lord in in different tongues. And and people that were there were like, man, I I hear them worshiping the Lord in my language. And so those were known tongues. But Paul also mentions here the tongues of angels. And I believe that is the unknown tongues. Uh, where we speak of the gift of speaking in tongues, particularly the tongue of angels. We'll be talking about that when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll be looking at that in detail, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. So anyways, tongues, or we would call them languages. You know, what is a language? Basically, it's an agreed-upon form of communication, right? I make a sound, and there's an agreement that whatever that sound is, it means something. And so I will make this sound with my mouth, and you'll hear it, and you'll go, oh, that's what he's saying. That's what he's communicating. So that's what a language is. It's an agreed upon form of communication. So every sound, hopefully every sound, has a certain meaning. And what Paul is saying is, without love, no matter what sound, no matter what language it is, without love, uh, there is no meaning. It's just noise. I used to listen to uh, some of you guys. Maybe listen to uh, um, Switchfoot. You guys ever heard, listen to Switchfoot? Anyways, they have a song on, on, on that says, you know, if we're just contributing to the noise, just shut us off. Because that's that's what you said. If, if it's just noise, just turn the radio off. We're, in other words, they're they're trying to communicate a message of, about Jesus Christ. And if they're just another band that's just playing Christian music, they just shut it off because that's not their purpose. I appreciate that about that song. But without love, there is no meaning. It's just noise. Verse 2 he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now, can you imagine if you're around someone like that? Someone speaking, which prophecy is? It's someone speaking for God to man or some, in some cases being able to foretell future events. But if somebody was doing that, and they're, they're saying all these prophetic words, and all this prophecy, you would assume that they have some level of intimacy with God, wouldn't you? It's like they've got some kind of an inside track because they're, they're hearing all these things, and, and God is working, speaking through them. So we'd assume that there's some greater level of intimacy. If there was someone that has great spiritual understanding, and you know, they just, man, they, they just, you're, they're in a Bible study with you, and, and you start, you're, you're reading something, and man, they just pull out some, well, I really, I really feel like the scripture is saying this, and you're like, wow, man, what insight that person has. What depth of knowledge. You would assume that they have some greater level of wisdom uh, and spiritual insight revealed by God. You would assume that, I would anyways. Or if you have someone who's got such great faith that they're able to move a mountain, you know, I'd have to assume that they'd have some great level of spiritual maturity. But Paul says here, without love, the person prophesying the person with great spiritual knowledge, they can answer all the Bible study questions, the person with the mustard seed faith, the, the must, that little bit of faith that can move mountains, man, without love, in God's economy, it's nothing. It's nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me Nothing. Think of people who have lived a life of sacrifice, maybe even giving the ultimate sacrifice. They've laid down their life. You go, man, what an amazing thing. There's got to be some kind of reward for that. But Paul says, without love, it doesn't matter how great that sacrifice is, it means nothing. Now, I have love. I have love. I love dark chocolate. Some of you know that some of you bring me dark chocolate. Bless you. You can keep doing that. <laughs> I love chocolate. I love riding a motorcycle. I, that's my form of therapy. You know, wind in my hair, sometimes I wear a helmet, but you know, wind bugs on my teeth, you know, when I'm smiling and stuff. <laughs> that's therapy for me. So I love riding motorcycles. But guess what? I also love my wife. I love pastoring this church. I love Jesus. I love all these things. There's more things that I love. I could spend an hour or maybe more. You know, in the English language, love, it's one word, but it's got a broad definition, right? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I love chocolate, but I love my wife more than I love chocolate. Hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. Now, the Greek language they don't have just one word for love. And you guys probably know this. They have different Greek words that mean different things. One, so if you say a certain love, like I love whatever, they understand what you, what you mean by love because you're using a different word. One of the words, and you're probably familiar with this, is the word phileo. It's the word that means brotherly love. It's like a friendship. When I think of that, I think of the golden rule, you know, do unto others what you would want to have them do unto you, you know. You're friendly with people around you, you know. You you love your fellow man. That's phileo. That's brotherly love. There's another love that's called storge, and it's familial love. It's the love of a parent to a child, a child to a parent, a brother to a sister. It's that familial love. When I think of that, I think of Jacob's great love for Joseph, And he loved Joseph. And Joseph in turn loved Jacob. You can read that in the story in in the uh, book of Genesis there. Familial love. That's so if I say, you know, if I use storge, you know what I'm talking about. There's another love that's called Eros. That's physical love. Again, I think of like the love between a husband and a wife. We all, if we use those words, well, we know what person is, what kind of love they're talking about. But Paul is going to share the more excellent way. It's one mother, one other, another name for love in the Greek language, and that's agape. We know it as, I call it agape, but it's agape. It's God's love for you and for me. It's the greatest form of love, the highest form of love. And so in these verses now, Paul is going to describe what agape looks like. So we have an understanding. So verses 4... All these words, love, is that same word, agape, by the way. So love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in, iniqui- in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we have a pretty, a pretty complete description of agape. The very first thing is that it suffers long. Now that comes from two words in the Greek, thumos, which is where we get the word wrath or anger, and makros, which means long in time or distant in space. In other words, far away. So, agape love, or agape, I'll I'll probably end up saying agape because that's what I'm used to saying. Agape love is slow to anger that's where we get the word patient and it's also far from anger if you look at that definition for macros it's a love where the person is not seething you know sometimes there's a there's people that you've run across or you've been or you know that they're just they're just under the surface they're just kind of holding it together, but under the surface, it's like a pot that's just kind of roiling. You know, when the water's just roiling, it's about ready to boil, but it just, it's just just needs a little bit more heat, and then boom, it's boiling, and it's probably boiling over. Paul says agape love's not like that. It's far from that. I don't know how many of you ever heat up water, you know, it's, it's like when you go to heat up water, it takes forever for water to boil. You know, if you're watching it and waiting, if you go do something, you usually forget about it, and then it's like, oh, I can't believe it's already boiling. But if you're standing there watching it, it seems to take forever. Well, that's what this love is like. It, It doesn't boil over. It's far from boiling over. It's patient. So love suffers long. Love is kind. That word kind means literally to show oneself mild. We have an example. Jesus spoke about it. He says, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. That's being kind. He says, bless those who curse you. That's also being kind. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Again, that's kind. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. That's kind. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Again, that's kind. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise, kind. Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Again, that's, that's kindness. And then Je- Jesus said, if you do these things that he just described, we just read, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So these were examples of how he's kind. So long-suffering, that word suffers long, I I call it long-suffering. Your Bible might say patient. Um, It's passive, right? It's not acting in anger or at least being very far from it or or it takes a long time. You're slow to reaching that point. It's passive. Kindness, on the other hand, it's active. It's actually doing something benevolent even in the face of, of un- unkindness. So once you're not responding, the other is you're responding, but you're responding with kindness, even when people are unkind to you. That's agape love. Love does not envy. And we all know what envy is because we all deal with envy, envy and jealousy. Let me ask you this. Does it grieve you when someone is more blessed than you are? If somebody is blessed, man, the grieve, the Lord's blessed them financially or the Lord's blessed them in a beautiful relationship or a great marriage or, you know, whatever their kids are. It seemed like they never do anything wrong. Does does it bug you when you see that? Or when you see that, you go, man, I, I deserve that. If that's the case, then you're dealing with envy or jealousy. Agape love does not envy. Agape love also does not parade itself. That comes from the word braggart. And I don't know if you've ever known somebody who's a braggart. I've known people that are braggarts. It's basically, it's to boast about oneself. Love also is not, agape love is also not puffed up. And that means to be inflated with pride, to be self-conceited. And again, while parade is an outward expression, you know, a braggart, they're, they're outwardly boasting and stuff. Being puffed up is an inward disposition of pride. Paul said this in Romans 12 verse 3 for I, say to, uh, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith don't think more highly than you ought to be sober about yourself love also does not behave rudely what does that mean it means to behave in an ugly, indecent, unseemly, or unbecoming manner. I I, I wrote this down from a commentator. It says love never acts out of its place or character. Observes due decorum and good manners. Is never rude, bearish, or brutish. And I'm like, okay. What does bearish and brutish mean? I mean, I have an idea, so I looked it up. Bearish means like a bear. (laughs) Go figure. It's rough, burly, or clumsy. You get a word picture when you think of that. Brutish means brutal or cruel, gross, or coarse, like an animal. So behaving rudely is the opposite of behaving with respect and civility. Let me ask you this. Rhetorically, do you trample over people's feelings? It's like, I don't care how they hurt. I don't care. I, I'm just going to express myself or I'm just going to do this. It doesn't matter what they think or how they feel. Do you trample over people's feelings? Well, agape love does not behave rudely. Do you have an ugly side to you? And when angered or offended or hurt or provoked, man, it comes out. And you'd be really ugly. Agape love does not behave rudely. Agape love does not seek its own. You know, what can I get out of this? Or how, you know, I'll take care of myself first, then I'll take care of somebody else. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Love is not provoked. If you have a King James Version Bible, it says not easily provoked. But what was interesting to me is that the word easily is not in the original translation. And it kind of gives a little bit of a wrong impression. Not easily provoked. In the the original language, it literally means love is not provoked. Because not easily provoked, it's like it kind of tends to soften it a little bit, right? It takes me a long time to get provoked. But Paul is saying here, agape love. Man, it's plain old not provoked. Provoke means to rouse to anger, to excite to indignation, or wrath. Albert Barnes, a a commentator from many, many years ago, said this, the meaning of the phrase in the Greek is that a man who is under the influence of love or religion is not prone to violent anger or exasperation. It is not his character to be hasty, excited, or passionate. He is calm, serious, patient. He looks soberly at things, and though he may be injured, Yet he governs his passions, restrains his temper, subdues his feelings. I would describe that as somebody who exercises self-control, even when they're provoked, or even when you know, things are, would provoke them. They don't. They don't respond that way. Agape love thinks no evil. Now, when I used to read this, right away I think, well, it just means you don't think negatively of somebody. right? You just think the best about people. That's not exactly what it actually means. It's an old verb from logos, the word logos, which means to count, to count up or to take an account, like you're entering something into a ledger or a notebook. And the evil, which is which means uh, it's the evil. So what it means is you're not counting up all the evil that's done against you, basically. Vincent's word picture says this love instead of entering evil as a debt in its account book voluntarily passes the sponge over what it endures I like that some people they keep track of all the wrongs that are done to them and it's there, it's, it's written in the ledger and when they, in a convenient time when it's needed they pull it out but agape love doesn't do that does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth it does not rejoice over the vices of other people, does not take delight when they're guilty of crime or when in any manner they fall into sin. Sometimes we see people, maybe it's, maybe politicians or someone who's you know, popular or whatever, and we see them fall and, and, and man is like, yeah, they deserved it. But agape love, doesn't, agape love doesn't do that. Agape love actually grieves over their falling, their sin. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Maybe you're in a situation, and you didn't take vengeance. Somebody wronged you, and you and, and you know you're you're praying and you're seeking the Lord, and you're like, you know, I'm not going to respond. I'm I'm not going to do anything, and so you know you're able to just not respond with vengeance or anything, and then the Lord takes care of them, and He puts them in their place, or He does something, and then we go, yeah, you know. Well, you've got to be careful with that attitude. Solomon said this, Proverbs 24, verse 17 and 18, "'Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, "'and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, "'lest the Lord see it, and it displeases him, "'and he turns away his wrath from him.'" So god love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And then Paul says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things not some things either it's it's all things it bears all things it literally means to roof over or to cover and I like what this uh, uh, commentator said it keeps out resentment as the ship keeps out the water or the roof the rain it bears all things and right away I thought of first Peter four verse eight and above all these things have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. So love bears all things. Love believes all things. Now that doesn't mean that we're gullible, but that is that we have faith in men. Adam Clark said this, is ever ready to believe the best of every person and will credit no evil of any, but on the most positive evidence. It believes all things. Again, it's not gullible. It hopes all things. Clark also said this. When there is no place left for believing good of a person. Have you ever had that situation? When there's no place left for believing good of a person, then love comes in with its hope. Where it could not work by its faith and begins immediately to make allowances and excuses as far as a good conscience can permit and farther. Anticipates the repentance of the transgressor and his restoration to the good opinion of society and his place in the church of God from which he had fallen. So that hopes all things. You know, it, 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 you're giving the person the benefit of the doubt. I have to always remind myself, you know, i got to give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I can't judge their motives. i just got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it goes beyond that. Even when, they, when, they, when your fears are confirmed or your thoughts are confirmed, yeah, they really were blowing it or whatever then it goes beyond that to hoping that they'll be restored, that they'll repent. Agape love. Finally, it endures all things. It bears up under all persecutions and maltreatment from open enemies and professed friends. Bears adversities with an even mind as it submits with perfect resignation to every dispensation of the providence of God and never says of any trial, affliction, or insult, this cannot be endured. That's kind of an older commentary though, okay, what's with that? Let me give you an example out of the Bible, I'm just going to read this to you. It's a story in the life of David, and it takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 16. David, the king of Israel, his son Absalom led a rebellion against David, and David had to flee Jerusalem for his life. And he and his mighty men, now these guys were warriors, these guys were killing people left and right. They were vicious guys. They were like, you know, the Delta Force or something. they along with David. And something happened in 2 Samuel 16, verses 5. It says, Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Girah, coming from there. He came out cursing continually as he came, and he threw stones at David, and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shemai said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. Can you imagine what's going on in David's heart? I mean, his son wants to kill him. I mean, that's like, wow. That would be heavy if your child wanted to kill you. And so David's fleeing. And to add insult to injury, this guy's saying, hey, hey, this is God's vengeance on you, buddy. You deserve it. And so he says, he continued here, he says, so now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruai, that's one of the mighty men, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my Lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. And that guy could have done it, because they were mighty men. They were warriors. But the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who shall then say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. Now did the Lord order Shammai to curse? No, but David didn't know that. He said, maybe the Lord's told him to curse me. He says this, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shemmai went along the hillside, opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust now all the king and all the people who were with him became weary so they refreshed themselves there that's an example in the Bible of enduring all things wow, what would you have done in that situation, I know what I would have done I would have, yeah, take care of my light work man deal with it, lop his head off David didn't do that, that That's that's a picture of agape love Look at the verse, first half of verse 8. Finally, love never fails. Never fails. Now, I just went through a different list and kind of gave us a little, ex- ex- hopefully a little bit of an understanding and maybe some examples of it, and I wrote them down here. I didn't write them down, by the way. They're on that screen. But <laughs> you see how I like, got blanks next to that? Put your name in there in each one of those things, and see how you measure up to agape love. Sherry suffers long and is kind. Teresa doesn't envy. Chad doesn't parade himself. Jen's not puffed up. Laquel doesn't behave rudely. Chuck doesn't seek his own. Takayuki is not provoked. I gotta look around at everything. <laughs> Andy thinks, and I'm not picking certain names for different people. <laughs> Andy thinks no evil. Brina doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jan bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Mary never fails. Does it seem like blasphemy when I was saying that? <laughs> Listen. It's a good exercise to do. Put your name in there and go down that list. Do you measure up? I can tell you right now, I don't. I don't measure up at all. None of us measure up, so don't feel bad. We're all in the same boat together here. But there is one person that does measure up, and that's Jesus Christ. And it's our goal to be like him, to have his love. And so I'd encourage you, man, maybe this afternoon, spend some time. Just go through this and just say, Lord, but give me that love. Lord, you know my weaknesses. You know that I'm just, I can get provoked so easily. Lord, change me, transform my heart. Because he'll do that if you pray and ask him to. So moving along here. Listen, Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church. and We've been talking about gifts of the spirit in the last week or two. And the Corinthians were not cessationists. You might say, what is a cessationist. I'll explain that in a few minutes. a few minutes, excuse me. The Corinthians, if you were to give them a, a, a definition that people use today, they were spirit-filled Christians. They were charismatic. And Paul's point to the, to the uh, Corinthians is, why focus so much on gifts that are temporary but neglect, excuse me, but neglect love that is eternal. Because you guess what? the gifts are temporary. they will cease. Look at the second half of verse 8 and verse 9. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And then verse 9, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So yeah, prophecies will fail. The gift of prophecy will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. There's no question. Paul states it clearly here. But the question is... And where people disagree on is when will that take place? Paul says this in verse 10, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now people who are termed cessationists, they believe that the sign gifts... The spectacular gifts, however they want to describe it, tongues and prophecy, word of knowledge, things like that, miracles, they say that this verse proves that they ceased when that which is perfect has come. And so for the cessationists, they believe that that which is perfect has come is God's finished revelation, the Bible, God's word. In other words, the sign gifts ceased with the passing of the apostles. When, the, when scriptures were completed and the apostles passed off the scene, that's when these gifts ceased. That's what cessationists believe. And right off the bat, I go, man, has knowledge ceased with the passing of the apostles? I hope not, but you might say, silly pastor. <laughs> we're talking word of knowledge, not knowledge in general. so I want to share something, and this is my heart, this is my belief, but before I do that, I don't want any misunderstanding, OK? I don't want any misunderstanding. God's word is finished. God's written revelation is done. Don't let some two guys in nice suits and bicycles come up to you and say, hey, I'd like to give you another revelation of Jesus Christ. There is no other revelation. It's complete. God's word is complete. There's nothing more to add to it. I'd say yes and amen. God's word is complete and the ministry of the apostles. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 20. Now therefore you no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone The apostles and the prophets, the 12 apostles and the prophets, Old Testament up to John the Baptist, they were the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So the apostolic authority that the 12 apostles had, and their ministry was accompanied with signs and wonders, that ministry is not to be repeated. Their authority, they laid the foundation, their their apostolic authority, that's completed as well too having said that though so when is that which is perfect has come what is that then if it's not god's word and the passing of the apostles when is that or what is that listen the word of god's perfect and complete but that's not what paul is referring to here we have to look at the context and the context is there in verses 11 and 12 When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What is he talking about? Well in 2 Corinthians verses chapter 5 verse 7 he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Our Christian walk, my Christian walk, your Christian walk, it's by faith. I don't have all the answers, and neither do you, by the way. None of us have all the answers. None of us see everything as, you know, on on this side of eternity. We just there's things our Christian walk is like looking into a, a steamy mirror. We get some glimpses, a little bit of understanding, but we don't have the full, complete picture. It's like seeing in a dim mirror. Paul says this, Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. What is he talking about? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. We are children of God right now if you have a relationship with Jesus. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is right now you look at me and you see the carnal pastor Don Now, hopefully sometimes you see the spiritual pastor Don but you look at my flesh and my bones and I'm a sinner just like you but there's coming a time when I'm going to be revealed as you know God's child in 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 the fullest sense and same with you again if you have a relationship with Jesus Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul's not saying the gifts are childish. Some people think that that must be what Paul's referring to, that we need to put them away and be mature. This is what Paul is trying to communicate. Childish things are appropriate for a child. If I see Dan Reese with a bowl of spaghetti on his head, Dan, that's not appropriate don't do that at the potlucks <laughs> <laughs> by the way yesterday for all of you that participated volunteered or whatever it got, it was someone involved in the garage sale thank you, I forgot to thank you for that we almost, not we as a church but everybody combined almost $1,700 worth of sales this weekend garage sale That's, it, was, it was a blessing to some people and we got to meet some people it was, it was really, it was neat so thank you Yesterday, and I was kind of coming back and forth between helping out with with the uh, um, garage sale because I had to prepare the message. So I was going home once in a while, spent a couple hours and come back. One of the times that I went home yesterday, I was driving down my street and uh, uh, towards the top of the street there was a guy who was washing, well actually I just saw this hose of water just shooting across the sidewalk to this truck and I'm like, oh, it's kind of a weird way to wash your truck. So there was a guy out there and I happened to see him on the front of his truck and the truck was on the street, and I saw this little, he must have been maybe three or four years old, holding a power washer wand. And he's just, you know, and his dad's on the other side of the truck washing, and, and as I was driving by, and I was driving really slow, uh, I, I was chuckling. And the guy was, had a big smile, the dad had a big smile on his face, and he was chuckling. And there was a little golden retriever, or bigger golden retriever, some larger dog, standing next to a little boy. And just as I drove by, I saw out of the corner of my eye, the boy took the power hose and started spraying the dog real close <laughs> <laughs> with the power washer. And so by that time, I was already kind of past the truck. And, and so I'm watching my rearview mirror, and I saw the dad throw down his rag. He ran around the truck, took the wand out of his son's hand. And you could see him scolding him, you know, and stuff. I'm like, you know, that was a pro. It was funny it was funny, what do you expect from a child you give a four year old a, wa- you know, a power washer what do you expect he's going to peel paint or kill the dog you know, whatever. I mean what do you expect but listen it was funny but there comes a time when acting childish is no longer appropriate and this is Paul's point the gifts are appropriate for the church age the church age is the age that we now live in by the way but they will not be appropriate in the age to come. Wait a minute. First of all, what are you talking about, the age to come? I believe this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ on earth from Jerusalem. Listen, right now, a word of knowledge is appropriate. Right now, words of prophecy, prophesying is appropriate. Right now, tongues and interpretations is appropriate for the church age. Why? Because they're all spoken by faith. last week and we do this once a month we have what's known as our upper room meetings and it's a time of praying and we allow the Holy Spirit we, oh not that we allow It's not like we're giving him permission but but we have a time where if body ministry takes place if we, we you know somebody has tongues and interpretation we, we have a place for that and a time for that. and so we, we encourage that and last week um, we were sharing something and, and something just I felt like the Lord was laying something on my heart. And so I'm like, Lord, is this really you? Do you really want me? I mean, is this something that you want me to share? And I didn't get this. Yes, thou shalt share. I just like, okay, you know, I really feel like this is what the Lord wants me to share. So I had to take a step of faith. That's kind of scary sometimes. I had to take a step of faith, and I and I shared something. I said, Hey, I believe the Lord is revealing this right now. And then I had a word of prophecy that went along with that word of knowledge. But you know what? I didn't really know. It was just. A, it was just. I believe that's what the Lord's saying. In this age, that's what it is. <laughs> None of us are really. The I know my God just spoke in my ear. Here it is. But we we do it by faith. But the point is, when the millennium, when Jesus Christ reigns on the earth, we're not going to need prophecy. We're not going to need word of knowledge. We're not because Jesus will be here, and He'll be saying everything. You won't even need a Bible study teacher. I won't be here. He'll probably say, "Man, don't that guy really messed up?" But you know glad you were patient with him this is really what I meant you know know. hopefully that won't be the case but there are certain things that are appropriate in the church age the gifts of the spirit are appropriate in the church age they have not ceased with the finishing of the scriptures or with the passing of the original apostles but there will be a time coming when they will cease and that is in the kingdom age, when Jesus Christ returns and in heaven, the eternal state. Because he'll speak, he'll judge, he'll teach. So my belief, my firm belief, is that when Paul says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away, then when that which is perfect has come is the kingdom age and the eternal state when Jesus, the perfect one, has come. I did a little studying yesterday, and I thought it was, it was fascinating to me. I, I was reading some commentaries, and one person said, you know, uh, the, the teaching that the gifts of the spirits ended with the, uh, with the finishing of the scriptures and the apostles is a recent, a recent understanding, and I thought that was kind of interesting. So I did a little digging. Um, Albert Barnes, I quote him every once in a while. Look at the date, 1798 to 1870, that's when the guy was alive. And he was a Presbyterian. He takes this scripture and says, "That which has perfect is come is heaven." That's Albert Barnes, the next guy, Adam Clark I quoted him a couple times tonight, or today, I should say. Now it's interesting. I don't know how they do birthdays for him, but 1760, 61 or 62. nobody really knows <laughs> till 1832. Uh, It's a Methodist. What do you expect? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a Methodist. His interpretation of this verse, then that which is perfect has come, is the state of eternal blessedness. Heaven. John Gill, 1697 to 1771, an English Baptist. His interpretation is then, that which is perfect has come. He says, not in this life, but in that which is to come. Robert Hawker, 1753 to 1827, was an Anglican. And he believed that this verse meant heaven. Matthew Henry, a lot of people quote him. Matthew Henry, 1662 to 1744, he was a nonconformist. I had to look that up. Well, it means he was a Protestant minister. And he says that this verse means heaven. And what I heard in my studying was that some say it was only after 1906 after the Azusa Street arrival, arrival <laughs> revival, <laughs> that that's when people started saying, "Hey, when that which is perfect has come as God's word," it was in a response to Pentecostalism because they didn't. Like, oh, this is strange. So then they 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 changed the interpretation. That's my understanding. Fascinating. It was it was a it was an eye opener to me. I, you know, one of the things that I I I, I don't know, I I can't say, I can't give you verses and back up things, but this is what I feel. If the gifts of the Spirit would cease with the completion of the Word of God and the passing of the 12 apostles, then why, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does Paul spend so much time teaching about it? Why would he teach it? Why would we have to read this and study this if it was going to pass away once the Scriptures was completed? To me, Again, I don't want to say, I don't have verses to back that up, but to me, it just doesn't make sense. So finally, in closing, verse 13. You're like, finally, too. (laughs) And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't end with, but now abide miracles, power, and gifts. He didn't say that. Faith, hope, and love. Now, miracles, power, and gift, they still occur, but they're not the focus. They're important, and they're still continuing, I believe, in the church age, but they're not to be the focus. Faith, hope, and love is the focus. And the greatest of these is love. Because, listen, without it, faith, we read about there in verse 1, hope, Gifts, power, sacrifice, wisdom, knowledge, all those things, they're nothing, and they're meaningless without love. Listen, even if we look at faith, hope, and love, there's going to come a time when faith will reach its complete potential. When you and I see Jesus face to face, you'll no longer need faith because he's there. There will come a point when hope will be satisfied again, when we see the lord face to face all our hopes and dreams will be true but love it's going to continue to grow throughout eternity as we spend eternity and we we get a greater and a greater and a greater understanding of what jesus christ did for each one of us he laid down his life with love because of love it's we're never going to we're never going to get to a point where okay i've I think I've I think I got love down. Check it off the list. No, I think love is going to continue to grow and continue throughout eternity. And that's why the greatest of these is love. So if anything else today, you know, I, I, whatever you believe about the gifts of the Spirit, that's, that's between you and the Lord. But I pray and I hope that you understand that without love, nothing matters. Nothing matters. You know, we did a garage sale out here. You could be out here, you know, selling stuff or whatever you're doing. And 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 if you don't have that love, it's like, okay, we had a garage sale, but did you love the people that came? Did you want to minister to people? A lot of people were doing that. There was some ministry that was taking place, by the way. Lady, we got to pray for. She has. She's just got diagnosed with breast cancer. Got to pray with her. A a little old lady. It was kind of funny. So I, I, she, she had a cane. I said, hey, can I carry your stuff to the car? We get to the car. And here's this, I don't know, 80 or maybe 90. She gave me this great big hug. (laughs) I'm like, my wife better not see me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) She goes, thank you for praying for me. And I'm like, that's no problem. I'd love to do that. So, you know, without love, you could be the most sacrificial person you're doing everything. You're feeding the poor. You're giving all your belongings to people. You're you know, you're 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 ready to die for people. But if you don't love, if you don't have Agape love, oh, it looks good to us. But to God, it's like it doesn't mean anything. Love is so important. So it's my prayer that each one of us would have that love and would grow in that love. Why don't you stand up and let's